Good morning and welcome to Grace. It's good to see you this morning. If I can, let me get you to take just a moment in silence. I'll read the meditation this morning and hopefully you can just take a moment, listen and prepare your hearts before we call ourselves to worship. So if you would just listen for just a moment. Almighty God, this morning, help us to give you the glory and praise that you deserve. We often forget that it is by your great mercy that you have gathered us into your church. Father, we give you the adoration of our hearts. Grant that we may so honor you, both in spirit and in obedience. Let your name be glorified through the worship of our lips and of the intentions of our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. It is our goal to give him praise and worship, and so let me call us to worship. If you'll please stand, you can take your hymn book if you need and turn to hymn number 76 in a moment. We'll be singing together, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. But let me call us to worship from Psalm 69. Come, let us praise the name of God with song. Let's do that this morning as we worship. Hopefully you got a bulletin. It's good to see everyone. If you're visiting with us, we want to say thanks for choosing to be here this morning. And there is a guest card that's there in the pew. And if you want to fill that out, uh, give us some information about you and your family. We'd be glad to reach out and try to minister to you. Um, otherwise, on the back side, there's also a prayer card that anybody can use. And if you have a prayer request, just fill that out. Place it in the offering plate when it comes by. Or if it's more personal and you don't want to spend the time just coming and talking to us, just come and hand it to Nick or I. And we'll put it in our pocket and we'll share it together as we go. And that way we can... Still get that out even if you don't have time to share with us. If you look in the bulletin, there's several announcements that you can, I'll let you enjoy this morning looking through. Um, we do have all the classes downstairs uh, afterward. It's been such a blessing to have many uh, different options for people to go to and the kids' classes starting back up. They're all returning to the two-year cycle if you've been through the Great Commission material. So if you're in the preschool class, you're going to be blessed because if we stay on track, You'll go through the preschool material, the early education, later education, and your entire time in the church from little on up will get an entire multiple opportunities to talk about God's covenants, his relationships with us, and the wonderful care that he has for us. And so hopefully they'll have an opportunity, as our high school is doing now, they're actually working through the Westminster Confession of Faith. So if you've never been a part of that and you'd like to see what it's like, talk with Matt. He may let you sit in on the high school class as they're going through the entire confession of faith this year in the Sunday school class. So what a blessing that he's doing that for them. Let me remind you, it's not in the bulletin, but the, the shirts, if you're ordering shirts for the church that Nick has placed out there to just help us as we go places, whether you're going to the fairgrounds or shopping in the mall or you just want to have a chance to have one to take with you, uh, please do that by the end of the month. It's open until I think the end of this month, whether you go online or whether you need help call Nick this week and we can do it through the sign up here and get things ordered for you but please know that that's this week up and coming and then also um, next week at 4 that's right next Sunday October 2nd at 4 p.m. Nick is going to do what we've been slowly starting up in different ways uh, he's going to be meeting with the evangelism team and outreach team if you are interested at all, just like we've got a fellowship ministry and we met with our missions ministry team, we'll be meeting with our stewardship teams, getting things going. He's going to meet with the outreach evangelism. 
So if you're interested at all in being a part of the outreach and evangelism, we've had several questions like, does that mean we're going to downtown Annapolis to preach with Nick? And the answer is yes, you're, you're welcome to do that if you want to do that. Um, but no, we set up tables at booths. We're going to the FCAs in the high schools. We have opportunities to do outreach in our communities. We do backyard Bible clubs. If you're interested at all in helping shape, form, and help our church do local outreach to share the gospel, this is the ministry you want to come to. This is the meeting that's going to allow us to build a team of people in our church that want to lead our church forward as we want to stay focused on sharing the gospel local here in our community. So please mark that on your calendar next Sunday at four. If you can't make it, just let Nick know and he'll follow up with you and fill you in on the details that's there. And then lastly, let me just share with you as this fall comes along, we told you we'll have several meetings up and coming. If you miss one, uh, just please still call us just because you miss one of the planning meetings doesn't mean you can't be a part of it. Uh, we know everybody can't meet every week um, as we go through it. But we're going to be having those meetings along with our officer training for those who are in the elders and the deacons. They'll be meeting uh, off and on each month going through the confessions and the book of church order and all of our doctrines and how our church is structured. So pray for those men as they go through the training that's necessary at our, in our presbytery, in our church, for them to be leaders and uh, keep them lifted up throughout the process as well. And for those who are interested in the Colibarium, it's been an exciting venture. It's been a several-year opportunity to minister to families uh, who are uh, moving over. I, many of you probably know more and more people nowadays are uh, being buried in Colibariums than they are in the ground. Uh, it's just whatever your family chooses. In our church, we've already had 10 people sign up, so we're moving forward. We've had plenty to get going. Uh, we only needed, I think, eight to get started, but we already have 10 Others have been asking, and so uh, this week was the week that if you're still interested, please see Scott Van Zanten, so that as you do the initial startup, I think it's $1,000 if you want to do that now. Later on, it may change and go up as they're going forward, but if you want to get in on the initial part of that, they'll actually be laying the foundation, ordering the colibarium, and getting all that ready to be put up here in, in probably six to eight weeks it may take for all that to come about. So. Uh, but we're excited. If you have questions, please see Scott Van Zanten. If you don't know Scott, Scott, would you please stand? Yeah, there he is. It's, come and see him or any of the trustees if you really need to. But there's so much going on. So we're excited. Uh, someone had asked about giving to the, the payoff. Yes, you can do that at any time if you weren't here last week. We're just going to take any monies above and beyond the tithes that you want and we're going to put that down on our building payment this year. The, the elders in our payment itself, we pay off several thousand each month. So we're going to continue to do that. And any elder that comes in, hopefully, will have enough by the end of the year to either make a big, down huge, almost pay it off or completely get it paid off uh, as our goal would be. So please pray about that. And uh, you can give them and also to the deacons. I know it sounds like a lot, but we give to the deacons regularly. We have had many, many, many families that don't just come for food, but come for financial assistance, that come for housing, that come for security. Uh, our deacons are busy uh, trying to minister to people who are in need. And so you can give to the deacons each week. You can give to the building payoff. Um, and obviously you can do your tithe, but please don't take from your tithes to do the others. But those are the offerings that the session has now authorized to take every week from here on out. So any week that you come prepared to do that, you can. 
Other than that, uh, we do have special prayer requests. I know that we get those through the week if you're on the prayer team. If you would like to be notified regularly of all the prayer requests that come through, um, you need to call Christy and work with Jackie Bach. They have a prayer team that keeps up to date on just about everything that happens. But um, if, if you're uh, not wanting every little detail and every little prayer request, then we'll have places set up on the website later on where you can just go in and check in and to see what's happening. Uh, but the only ones we publish here are the ones that you actually say, would you please print this? And so there's sometimes people don't want all that out. So we only share as you tell us to share. So please let us know when you want something in. But other than that, let's take a moment not only to remember these prayer requests and those that have been sick, uh, those that have been traveling again, uh, we do tease. We have our snowbirds that this month at some time will probably be leaving. And so we'll see some of our families going. We want the Lord to be with them as well. Um, but we want to remember all this in prayer. And most importantly, that this morning we can just worship and understand the true importance of why it is we truly need to trust our high priest, Jesus Christ. Don't leave this morning without placing your trust in him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll lead us. And if you'll join us or join me together in prayer, you'll see it inside your red hymn cover for the Lord's Prayer. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do again this morning just thank you for inviting us, Lord, that you would open the kingdom of heaven to us, that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to the truth that you've given us in Revelation, Lord, that it all works together for good to those of us who are called according to your purpose. Lord, we pray for those who've not been convicted. Lord, we pray for those who have not responded to the conviction. Lord, we pray for those who just seem so empty, lost, burdened, and depressed, that, Lord, you would turn their hearts toward you. Lord, so many times we look inward to all that is needed, and yet we find sinfulness. We find selfishness. We realize it's not on our own that we can change anything, but we need your Holy Spirit. We need the love of your son, Jesus Christ, your compassion and care so that our lives can be changed. Lord, we know that as we come together to pray, uh, Lord, we have so much to lift up. We spend time telling you what to do rather than asking you to reveal yourself to us. And so, Lord, this morning we ask you to do that. We ask you to reveal yourself to us this morning, to give us a better glimpse, to give us a better hope through the understanding of your scriptures. Lord, again, as a body, we come knowing that we don't deserve it. We've done nothing on our own that allows us access to you. But, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, his holy, perfect priesthood, we can come together as a body praying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I invite you to join with me in this prayer, not just because it's the next thing in the bulletin, but because you sincerely in your heart want to confess your sins to the Lord. And we as a church want to be holy and have our, lines, our lives aligned with his will. So please join with me as we pray together. 
O Lord Jesus Christ, we mourn for our sins, which we always commit against your holy majesty. We confess our sins, which made necessary your suffering and death for our salvation. We have not loved you with all our heart, nor humbly served one another as you have served us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us and forgive our sins. Grant to us this day a true sight of all that you suffered in your betrayal, your lonely agony, your false trial, your mocking and scourging, and the torture of your death upon the cross. As you have given yourself utterly for us, may we give ourselves entirely to you. O Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And as we look up to the Lord and we see and we, we wonder what his answer will be, here it is. John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. As you look to Jesus, brothers and sisters, be encouraged that he has taken away your sin and that he is our faithful Savior. Look with me at the confession of sin from the larger catechism. I'll read the question, and then let's respond together. Question 49. How did Christ humble himself in his death? Christ humbled himself in his death, in that having been betrayed by Judas, forsaken by his disciples, scorned and rejected by the world, condemned by Pilate, and tormented by his persecutors, having also conflicted with the terrors of death and the powers of darkness, felt and borne the weight of God's wrath, he laid down his life in offering for sin, enduring the painful, shameful, and cursed death of the cross. Question 50. Wherein consisted Christ's humiliation after his death? Christ's humiliation after his death consisted in his being buried and continuing in the state of the dead and under the power of death till the third day, which hath been otherwise expressed in these words, he descended into hell. Before we sing and are led by the choir, we're actually going to have the offering at this point in the service. So those who will be helping, I'm going to have you... Uh, come on up while I pray, and then we'll be led by the choir. Let's pray together as we prepare to give. God, we come to you at this time as an act of worship, giving back to you some of what you've given to us. You've given us everything. And Lord, has been, as has been mentioned earlier, so many things happening. We're, we're grateful to be a part of your mission and your desire to have the nations come to you and even in our very own community. We ask for your blessing and we pray that you would bless these tithes and offerings. In Jesus' name, amen.
What a blessing to uh, have the choir up here helping lead worship and for you to listen to you. You guys don't get the privilege of hearing all the people singing toward us. What a blessing that is to hear you singing. If you'll turn with me as we finish up here in Hebrews chapter 7, it's been probably a long journey from some, for some of you to spend some time on Melchizedek that you've never done before, understanding that God has planned a way for us to trust him clear from the beginning, that even the psalmist again in Psalm 110 cries out consistently that this is something that God has planned and will never change his mind. When it comes to trusting in Jesus Christ, I want to share with you this morning what he kind of summarizes as the preacher, the writer of Hebrews, tells us the summary of the importance of understanding Jesus who comes from the order after Melchizedek, the one and the only king-priest figure that we have that allows us to realize that all of our promises that will come from a Messiah will come from someone who doesn't come from the tribe of Levi, but would come from the kingly tribe of Judah, who would not only be a king who would reign over us, the right hand of the Father, but would also be a priest, one who would be a mediator, and one who would be there for us whenever and however we ever needed him. If I asked you this morning to think of one time right now when you needed him most, you might say, well, pastor, I need him all the time. The question that kind of asked, which child do you love the most? We had eight children. And I know there comes times, for those of you who had several children, the question, when do you and whenever do you love one child more than the other? And I have to confess, I showed more love to some children than I did others. You want me to tell you which one it was? <laughs> it was the one that was hurting the most at the time. It was the one that was in a situation that needed to have extra time. He was one that was going through a circumstance in which they just needed to know for certain that the love would never run out, would never wear out. I pray that you too have fallen in the same trap because I can't imagine us treating our children all the same all the time in every circumstance. It doesn't mean we love one child less and we don't put one child more important, but there are times we need to know that we have someone who loves us. The problem that the writer of Hebrews is taking us to is that we had a priesthood that could not always be there. We had people that were representing us to God that were not always right. And we could never fully trust that when the high priest would enter into the holy place that God would even accept the sacrifice and so there were times, as you know the history, in which they would tie a rope to his ankle or they would even put bells on his robe so that when he went in to offer the sacrifice, if they couldn't hear anything or he never returned, they could pull him back out because they knew God didn't accept the offering. And if God didn't accept the offering, well, then the punishment was death. Because if the sacrifice couldn't take the death, then the priest would have to take it. And if the priest didn't take the death, then we would have to take it. And so they began to bring the scapegoat in. They began to bring the offerings in. 
they began to have all the situations that would bring us security so that at least we would know as people in the outer courts and the outsides of the Holy of Holies that we could find forgiveness, that we could come into the presence of God and at least be near Him and leave knowing that our sins have been forgiven. I don't know how many times you've called on God and started your prayer by saying this, if you really are their God, I don't know if I'm talking to the right person, God. God, if you could really hear me right now. It's almost as though we don't come to him in faith. We come doubting because we haven't yet received what we wanted. And we begin to say to the God we're supposed to serve, God, you haven't been serving me. And I'm not sure where you went. So here this morning, he brings it to conclusion. I want to give you a few points. I want to read it and take you through on this last part of Melchizedek because it's the foundation, the beginning of the next several chapters that take us all into understanding the whole point of the new covenant, what it means to truly have a mediator and a priesthood and a relationship with God, what really comes about when we place our trust in him. And so this morning, I'm asking you to put all things aside for just a moment. Just put it aside. Tomorrow will come. Lord willing, he doesn't come first. You're going to have the same amount of time tomorrow as you did the day before. You're going to have the same opportunities tomorrow as you have the previous week. And for many of us, the same situations we faced the past month will be the same situations we face tomorrow. So don't try to solve it right now. Take a moment, take some time, and let the writer of Hebrews preach to you. Have you truly placed your trust in him? Here's what he says, being in verse 20 in chapter 7. He picks up on understanding this forever priesthood that's perfect. He says, and it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. In other words, there was nothing from God personally introducing them but this one Jesus was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest forever this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant one which we will learn about in chapter 8 and following for the next sections that we come just what has he guaranteed verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. But Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because Jesus continues forever. I inserted that so you would know as he. Verse 25, consequently, Jesus, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he 
did this once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Just who are you trusting in? Melchizedek is the figure, the true king priest of Salem who rises to tell us, not of an allegory, not of a story, but to point us to the truth that there is one coming, a Messiah, that is different than all the others. Let me explain him to you. First of all, he is the Messiah, if you wish, and the high priest because he needs no introduction. Write that down. That's what it means when he comes by an oath. He doesn't have to have a previous introduction. He doesn't have to have a, a lineage of history. He doesn't have to have a genealogical list to show where he comes from. He doesn't have to prove that he's been through the same things. He is the one who comes because God simply said, you are the priest forever, the high priest. He did it with an oath. He sealed it. He said it would be forever. He is the one who was telling us up front, this is the high priest who didn't need an introduction. He didn't need to have all the things that everybody else has. Why? Because Melchizedek shows up. That's his introduction. To simply say, there will be one after Melchizedek. I promise. And that's all you need to know. If you're going to place your trust in Jesus, it's because he is the one that has been appointed by God, promised by God, and is now here to serve at the right hand of the Father for us. It's his oath. It was forever. Can you think of a time in Scripture in which God has lied to us? Go back. I've asked you several times before. Think of the times in which God gave us a half-truth. Oh, the, the world loves those. We love to nitpick at Scripture, and we try to find little contradictions or changes in numbers or things that don't match or names that have been changed and anything and everything that could possibly prove that God didn't tell us the whole truth. Of course, in his own word, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that he's revealed the things that we need, and yet many things he has still kept what? Secret. The Bible is not a complete revelation of every detail of who God is. The Bible is the complete revelation of God's plan for salvation. Oh, I promise you, if you're one of those blessed ones in the covenantal relationship with God that gets to spend eternity with them in heaven, you're going to learn a whole lot more about God than you understand right now. The Bible's not going to tell you everything about God. But the Bible is going to be God's revelation to us so that we can understand him fully and trust him completely so that we can be saved for eternity through his son, Jesus Christ. Is that who you trust in? You see, when it comes by an oath, we have to learn this word guarantor. He begins to tell us that he came with an oath. He came as one who was the guarantor of a better covenant. This is the first time, not that you care about the details, that 17 different opportunities that we find out about covenant in the book of Hebrews, and this is the first. We rise to learn about there's a relationship that is coming from God that he guarantees that is different than any other relationship we've had based on promises and conditions that are different. 
Up until now, we understand a relationship built on Moses and Moses' revelation to us, Moses' communications to God, Moses' communications on the mountain, Moses' picture of the holiness. But there comes a point when all of a sudden the new covenant, a better understanding, a fuller picture, a more meaningful relationship that's based and guaranteed on promises, not works. And maybe you need that understanding this morning because you've been basing your entire life on the things that you've been doing for the Lord. You're stuck on the Mosaic revelation, if you wish. You're stuck within the law in what it's privy to us about our relationship and not that it was wrong. In no case are we saying that what Moses told us was wrong. What we're saying is what Moses told us only pointed to something that would be much greater. And maybe your relationship is not built on the true grace and love of a relationship that's grounded in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Your relationship with the Father is grounded on whether or not you're doing the things people expect you to do. And you're burned out. You're burned out. I didn't realize living for Christ was going to entail so many chores, so many duties, and so many expectations. Isn't it amazing? And I pick on myself as a pastor. We're always wanting you to be involved. But I ask you to constantly pray about your own involvement because sometimes you can be so involved that you're not growing closer to Christ at all. Oh, as the saying goes, as Warren Wearsby had said it years ago, sometimes you can be so busy that you never get blessed. And then when we try to find ourselves growing closer to Christ, we want to go back to the old way and say, you know what, I need to be brought back closer to Christ, so I need to get back involved in church and start doing things at church again. I've been out of church for a while, and I haven't been involved for a while, and so I need to get back involved, get back on the ministry teams, get back in leading things like I used to do. And those were the same things you used to do that didn't help you keep from leaving the church the first time. You see, that's what happens with the high priesthood, is when you place your, place in a, your trust into a priest who cannot be there all the time, who cannot guarantee you your cleanliness, cannot give you a sacrifice that cleanses your conscience, then he's not really dealing with what is necessary for eternity. He's just getting you through the day-to-day -day tasks of feeling better. So when they offered the sacrifice and it was acceptable to God, you could feel better. You could be cleansed. God would say, okay, but it would only last until, as our writers in the Westminster Divines would say, until you sinned in thought, word, or deed. How many of you have a bad thought right now? Who would even admit it? Isn't it amazing that the divines would understand their phrase that would come from the wordings that God knows the intentions of our what? Heart. That even when we don't do the things that are wrong, we still think the things that are wrong. And sometimes we even say them. Dr. Jeff Forey, I'll share as one of my elders, I told you before, I had to wrestle with him. I told the elders one time, he wrote a paper because he took an exception to the Westminster Confession of Faith as he became an elder in the church. And he used to teach at Westminster Seminary 
in Philadelphia. He was teaching the doctoral students, and he's a part of the materials that are written in many churches, the grief share programs and the things you're familiar with now. But he wrote a little article that said, I take one exception. He said, I don't think that we sin every day in thought, word, or deed. And one of the elders took an exception to his exception and said, you can't say that because that means you think you're becoming perfect. And he said, no, 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 that's not what I mean by that. He said, I just don't believe that every day of my life I have always sinned in thought, word, and deed. And so he was an older gentleman, been an elder for years. He said, well, then, Jeff, can you please tell me a time you didn't? I thought, here we go. And Jeff simply said this, I'll never forget. He said, I remember the day he dealt with MS. He said, I remember the day I had my first day-long surgery. And I was under the surgeon's care the entire day and don't even remember the day. He said, I don't think I sinned in thought, word, <laughs> and deed. I thought, you snot nose. <laughs> there's, there's always someone to beat the system. But he had a priest, and he realized, yes, I do believe we sin, and we sin in ways that we shouldn't. But it wasn't designed to say that every morning you wake up, please don't just say, well, I'm a sinner. Where's my first bad word? And where's my first bad thought? I might as well just get them out of the way so that I can get the day started. That's not what he's saying. We have a high priest who truly changes us. The goal is that we get to a point where we don't sin as much in thought, word, Indeed, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we're growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But even when we are faithless, Paul wrote young Timothy, the preacher up and becoming, who would one day understand what the writer of Hebrews was saying when Paul told Timothy, son, let me tell you this, even when you are faithless, God remains Oh, if he could expound on it, he would have probably said to us, because if you haven't read yet, the writer of Hebrews, the preacher also told us that he is faithful. Why? Because he is the guarantor of a better covenant. He is one who needs no introduction. He is the one who brings the promise of the new covenant. If you don't know what that is, go to Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. You can read about them. We'll get to them later in Hebrews. But he's guaranteeing the covenant. What is that word? In goats. Put two G's together in Greek, it gives you an NG sound. So it's enguos or engaios. If you're following along in your Greek, it's the word that is translated here in the scriptures only this time. I think this is the third or fourth time now that we come across words that are only used here and one time. It is the word of a guarantor that is translated as one in the past, especially through the Septuagint, that would be a third party person that guarantees the conditions of another person's commitment. A third-party person that puts the surety to another person's commitment or covenant. Do you know what he's really saying? You need a cosigner. Anybody know what a cosigner is? You go to the bank and you want to get a loan, you want to buy a car, and they look at your condition and they say, I'm sorry, you can't make this on your own. You need to go find a what? A cosigner. You need to find someone who is a guarantor of what you're going to do so that when you're unable to do it, this person guarantees that they're going to be able to cover you. Do we need to go much farther when it comes to a picture of Jesus Christ? 
of one who is able to stand beside us and cover us when we have fallen short and can't meet our obligations, who promises to meet the needs for us and to prepare us and make us ready in ways we can't do ourselves. This is a high priest who needs no introduction. He is one who is able to guarantee all the covenant blessings to the recipients they should go. But not only is this a Messiah that needs no introduction, he's the Messiah now who is a high priest who has no interruption. Listen to what he says right here when he begins to tell us, Therefore, the former priests, and many in number, because they were prevented from death. He's already brought this up earlier. The problem that we had in our placing our trust in others is that every other system has interruptions. They have breaks. They have pauses. They have times in which they can't be called upon. I love it when you go to someone that says, we're open 24 hours, seven, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They're not open on leap year, right? That's one day. See, we find a way to say, wait a minute, there's always a time there's going to be an interruption. There's always going to be a break. And for the high priest, what did you do when the high priest died and the next one had to be installed? We'll just take a break. I hope you don't die the next week until we get things installed. I hope your life makes it to the next one because right now we're not covered we don't have a sacrifice. We won't have one for the next week. And so you better be prepared. What happens when your life faces an interruption? You placed your faith in your career and it came to a halt. You placed your faith in all that you had accomplished and someone has surpassed it. You placed your faith in a calling that belonged to you and your spouse your spouse is no longer here. You placed your faith in the church and there was an interruption. You see, all of us begin to realize we need something better than the human system, something that has frailty and failures. All of our lives were interrupted by things. We need something that continues without interruption. Listen to the word that is used when he said... Uh, uh, in the beginning of the verses, but he holds his priesthood in permanent because he continues forever, verse 24. That is the word that is translated there, remains. It's the word meno. It just means it's consistently there. When something is there, it's meno. It's remains. It's just there. A pillar remains. You come to the church at nighttime, the pillars are what? They're there. You come in the daytime, they're what? They're there. You, you come during parties, they're what? They're there. You want to get rid of them, you just cover them because they're what? They're there. They just remain. They're minnow. That's the word that is used here in the Greek. And then Jesus, his priesthood forever, they use that word when it's actually translated remains. You could just, it's an ongoing. His priesthood is how long? He's just priest what? Forever. He just remains. There's never a time that he is not there, that he does not exist, that he's not in that role. There's no interruption in our lives because there's no interruption in his priesthood. Jesus Christ will always be there every time you need him. And that is why the translation says, consequently, therefore, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost. 
Folks, again, we've said this before, there's no need to go back to Ezekiel and try to translate a new temple that's going to come one day and set things back up, that somewhere in the end of time there's going to be a new sacrificial system and more sacrifices made. Folks, that can't be. Because why would we reestablish the same system that was unable to get us to where we needed in the first place? So why are you going back to the same habits, the same friends, and the same people doing the same habits, the same chores, in the same structure that didn't enable you to grow closer to Christ in the first place? Are you ready for something better? It's the better covenant. One who guarantees it, and he's there and he remains. He uses the word. They can save, it says here, to the uttermost. I don't know how many times you've used that word in your vocabulary. Anybody here use that word? To the uttermost. I remember telling my wife one time, I love you to the uttermost. No. We don't use that word. It's actually a makeup of three words, unto the ages. This time he uses a special mix, again, that's a little different than all the times. He used the enta pantalos. He puts two words together to make the word pos for all things and teleos, complete or perfect. He is the priest who remains and can save us, ta ta pantelios, until all things are completed. That's the translation. Do you know why he is a great high priest? Because he can take every situation in your life, every circumstance you've ever faced, all the hard times you'd never be able to, to make through, all the ideas that still keep coming rushing back, all the memories that haunt you from the things you've done. And he says, but he's a high priest that can save to the uttermost until all things are completed. Have you let him do that in your life? Have you truly confessed all your sins? Have you truly come to the throne of grace and said, I want it all to be made complete? I'm tired of being a Christian and a follower of Christ at 95%. I haven't been able to let go of my previous marriage. It was bitter. I haven't been able to surrender my children that have totally walked away from everything we taught. I can't seem to overcome the hurt that was caused by the words of my spouse when they got angry. I can't seem to get over the sinful thoughts of just getting even. But I'm tired of just having 95% made right. Please, enta pontelios, make it all complete. And only one person can do that. He needs no introduction. 
there'll never be an interruption. The priests that had died and gone on, you can't put your hope in them. Let me just briefly say this. For those of you who love following those who are dead, we do it all the time. We follow our faithful patriarchs in our family. They're dead and gone. We follow the patriarchs, if you wish, in our churches. We quote the great writers and theologians, yet they're dead and gone. And sometimes we treat their words more importantly than we do God's. And sometimes we relive our previous pastors that are dead and gone. And again, for some of us, we're still stuck with our spouses, living the dead and gone. They cannot help. They cannot help. Only Jesus, without an interruption, can save you until all things are complete. Bring all things near. Consequently, he can save all to completeness those who draw near. You must come through Jesus Christ. Why? Not only does he not need an introduction or there's no interruption, but finally, let me tell you this, because in him there is no corruption. He is so different than we are. He is so different than anyone else. He is set apart high and above. There is no likeness unto him. You cannot compare someone to Jesus Christ. We do it all the time. We should be like Jesus. We have books. Be like Jesus. Be like his walk. Be like his this. Folks, it's a striving target, yes. But you know the pressure that comes when we put on our children that you need to be like Jesus? Let's give a little bit of grace. From now on, let's just say, children, I want you to be 50% of Jesus. Let's lower the standard a little bit. I'm one of those that likes to take it all the way, and if I can't beat Jesus, then I don't want to be like Jesus. And that's the problem with most of us, is we put more trust in ourselves than we do in him, and therefore we're not becoming like him, we're becoming like what everybody else wants us to be. But it's in him that there's no corruption. That's what sets him apart. Listen to the words that he begins to give us. Verse 26, he was indeed fitting that we should be have such a high priest. Why? Listen to these words. He's holy, innocent, unstained, and separated. Again, I could have you write all these down in different ways, but listen to the words, hasios, from hagios, holy. It actually means the perfect of holiness. You could translate it this way. He's God in flesh. Hasios. It doesn't get any better. If I said to the children who won their soccer game yesterday, man, that was a perfect play. And that's not true. Because there's, in our world, nothing that's really what? Perfect. But yet when it comes to Jesus Christ, he's the hasios. He is the one that is pure. He is the one that is holy. Listen to the word that is used for akakos. It's the word for guiltless. Here it tells us that he is holy and he is innocent. 
Circle that in your Bible and write it out. That It's the word that is used in Greek that means guiltless. He's not just one that you could say here is innocent, but he has no guilt. He's never done anything wrong. There's never a bad thought. There's never been a bad word. There's never been anything unholy. He walked through life, and he has no guilt. And when you have no guilt, you can stand in the presence of God perfectly. So when he perfectly covers us, we have a high priest who has no guilt. There's no way God would ever look to him and say, I can't accept that. I can't accept you. I I can't take that part because it's perfect. He's utterly holy, God in the flesh, and he is without guilt. Amiantos is the word for unstained. It's actually the word, that's why I give you, that means without corruption. There's not one bit of wrong. Jesus is the high priest. He is the high priest because God promised without any introduction. He simply said it would be forever. He's our high priest because there's no or ever any interruption. Never find a time when God, through his son Jesus Christ, is not listening and helping. And there's no corruption, which means he is able to bring us near to God. For there's nothing he must sacrifice for himself. And so he became a sacrifice for us. His sacrifice, unlike the priests of Levi, who numbered many, many, and many. Josephus, one of the early historians, did a research and published that he thought there were 83 priests from Aaron to AD 70 and the second temple ended. 83 interruptions on whether or not you're going to be right with God. And in Jesus, there's been none. He's been perfectly right every time. He's never turned anyone down He's never not been able to cover their sins. He's never not been able to bring them near to God. He's never failed at all. He has no need, verse 27, like the others. For they were appointed in their weakness, verse 28. Let me just remind you, a sinful mediator cannot help you. Religions with all kinds of gods and priests and sinners cannot help you. The only way to be in the presence of God is to be perfect. And that is why the only way we come to the presence of God is to come in Jesus Christ. It's his perfection. It's his righteousness that covers us. It's his holiness, him being without guilt, him being unstained. No one else can do that. This morning, I ask you again, 
have you placed your trust wholly and completely in the high priest promised by God, Jesus Christ? There is none like him. No one is like him. Just listen. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. It's not just the Psalms. It's the cry of our heart. We need a forever priest, and there is none like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that through Melchizedek, we don't lose track. We get a clearer picture of your plan and purpose for our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for being 50% committed. Forgive us for being 75% like you. Father, forgive us for giving 90% of ourselves to the spiritual process necessary. Lord, forgive us for putting just a portion of our trust in the things of this world. Because that little bit of leaven has ruined the whole lump. Father, forgive us. Cleanse us. Give us an unguilty conscience. As we are dressed in your son's righteousness, his perfection, and without any corruption. So that you will get the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll allow me to give you a benediction, let me read from Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.